This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today's episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. On today's show, we are beginning our look into the best picture candidates for this year's Oscars. I've been doing this series since the start of the first season of ContraZoom way back in 2016. Each episode for the next three weeks will be looking at two to three of the nominees and the chances they have to to win each of their nominations. It's pretty simple. We will label every nomination for a movie as a frontrunner, dark horse, long shot, or just happy to be there. Join me on this first episode to discuss Sound of Metal, Minari, and Nomadland is Paulo Bautista, host of the Oscars Death Race podcast and many more shows that he produces. Paulo was recently a guest on the show back on episode 142, Most Anticipated Films of 2021. Welcome back, Paulo. How are you doing? Hey, Dakota. Great to be back so soon. Uh, It's full on Oscar season, which is, you know, a lot of movie watching to be doing for the Oscars Death Race podcast. Absolutely. And that's what I want to ask you first. How's your own personal Oscar death race going? Not including the shorts, I've seen 27 of the 41 nominated movies so far. So to be honest, I actually have been a little bit slacking. Um, I actually got a dog uh, within the past week or so. So that's been taking up a lot of my free time. Um, but uh, I actually last night uh, watched uh, two of the um, two of the actress uh, films, uh, Billy, U.S. versus Billy Holiday and Hillbilly Elegy. Um, one was as expected, but one I think actually didn't quite leave, uh, wasn't quite as bad as most people thought. So I'll let you and your listeners uh, listen to my most recent episode uh, of the Oscars Death Face podcast to see what, which film is which. <laughs> I'm sure we can only imagine which ones. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Before we start, I want to know if you maybe have any few favorite best picture winners of all time. Ooh, uh, so my best picture, like my Oscar watching, honestly, like I wasn't really into the Oscars until probably I would say 2017, 2018 or so, somewhere around that period, right? So I, I didn't really watch it when I was in college up through 2014 um, and still getting used to, you know, working life. Once I, you know, started having my routine, I started going to movies a lot more often, trying to watch more things. Um, the ones I definitely remember standing out are, you know, just from the past couple of years, A Shape of Water, um, you know, from Guillermo del Toro. And of course, last year's Parasite um, was, like, I think, a very high point for me personally. Awesome. Those are some good picks. All right. Well, I say we get right into this and we're going to talk about our first movie, which is Sound of Metal. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm going to be like a click track. You can play to me. You understand me? I can't. I'm dead. I'm dead. This movie has six nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Riz Ahmed, Best Supporting Actor for Paul Racy, Best Sound, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. So like I said at the top, we're going to kind of give a designation to each of these categories with one of the four categories of Front Runner, Dark Horse, Long Shot, or Just Happy to Be There. And we're going to start out big. Start with the Best Picture. For me, you know, I'm looking at the different nominees and, you know, if, if I was trying to predict where the Academy is going to vote, because Best Picture is the only category that is preferential voting it makes it a little bit tricky to figure out, oh, does there enough support going here and there and how it all evens out? I think, unfortunately, it's probably in the just happy to be there category. Yeah, I would I would say it's it's right around there, right? In my personal rankings, I have it somewhere in the five to seven range. So you could potentially see, you know, in a crazy situation, like it's borderline long shot, but that just basically means it's happy to be there. Yeah, I feel like when the nominations came out in a different year where there is probably more of the uh, big budget art house flicks, you know, your your Wes Anderson's, your Denis Villeneuve's, your Spielberg's, that sort of stuff. Sound of Metal probably would have been one of the movies that uh, would have been kicked out, unfortunately, of this group. It was probably the number seven or number eight to make the the final ballot. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have a, I just have a hard time of envisioning how sound of metal goes about winning you know best picture it can win best actor it can win best supporting actor it can even win sound and screenplay and stuff like that and i still don't think it has a route to win best picture yeah for sure definitely agree i don't think there's too much discussion to be had for for best picture for sound of metal all right well then something that i think might be a little bit more interesting is best actor for riz ahmed 
I'm uh, I'm a little curious to sort of hear where you have his placement in that group of five. And, and just for, for the sake of it, I will list off the other nominations. They are Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yuen for Minari. Yeah, so I have Riz Ahmed as a bit of a long shot here. Um, I think that a lot of the conversation is around uh, Chadwick Boseman, you know, prim- primarily, you know, obviously because uh, unfortunately his his untimely passing um, kind of makes this award be almost if he were to win. Uh, kind of a cap on his on his career as an actor, um, and then the the main competition he has, you know, I think I you 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 talked to me about this uh, in, in the recent episode we were both on was Anthony Hopkins is kind of the um, he's he's kind of the one where it would be it, he he probably delivers I think the strongest performance, frankly, out of uh, anyone in the category uh, with uh, with the possible exception of Bozeman. So I think on the quality level, Anthony Hopkins is up there. Plus he has you know um, he has a long career, and so his award would be kind of the uh, oh this is an award for your entire career of acting to some degree. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins has been nominated a bunch of times, but he's only won once back in 1992 for The Silence of the Lambs. And that was actually the very first Oscar nomination. Since then, he's been nominated uh, five more times, including just last year for The Two Popes. We're obviously going, I'm going to get more into him on the episode about The Father. That's the only Best Picture nominee I haven't seen, so I can't really comment too much. And I know there's going to yeah. be a little bit overlap when we get to Stephen Yuen as well. But it really does sort of seem like it's a bit of a, a two-headed race between Chadwick Boseman and Anthony Hopkins. I think yeah. uh, Gary Oldman, who just won somewhat recently for, for being in The Darkest Hour, I think that kind of takes him out of the running. And Stephen Yuen, as much as I'm sure you're going to talk about how much you love that movie and how much I love it in a little bit, it just sort of seems like it doesn't have that, you know, quote-unquote, uh, big showstopper moment that a lot of the academy voters like to see in a in a acting win uh so yeah i i think long shot is a pretty good way to to call riz ahmed he's probably either number three or number four on people's ballots yeah i would say you know i think it just comes down to just within the category uh most people i think are going to you know most of the voters are going to want to honor you know bozeman's legacy um so i think that's kind of where he comes in as as first place and if not uh, i think Personally, Anthony Hopkins, you know, as you said, you'll talk about the father later. He, I think, does have the strongest performance, um, you know, uh, aside from possibly Bozeman uh, in the uh, in in this category. All right. So the next category is Best Supporting Actor, which Paul Racy was nominated for. The other nominees are Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, and Lakeith Stanfield also in Judas and the Black Messiah. This is one where I kind of feel like uh, at the beginning of award season, it almost seemed like Paul Racy might be one of the front runners to win this. But then, of course, as uh, we talked about on the episode I was on with you, because Juice and the Black Messiah was came out so late, it kind of caught everyone by surprise. And then, of course, it sort of exploded because everyone saw it was like, wow, this movie is really good. And the fact that it got two... Uh, nominations of the same character which you know i think it's kind of been beat to death about the the absurdity that you have uh both main characters in a supporting category which is pretty ridiculous i don't know really what else needs to be said but daniel kaluuya i really think is the real front runner here so it kind of pushes paul racy down if i were to categorize him i would probably say he's a dark horse uh he could maybe sneak up in there if you know jews and the black messiah doesn't have as much love and support as we think it does but it that's a pretty big if for me yeah i would say so one there's a couple things here for just for the category in general i think best supporting actor with having two judas and the black messiah leads um i think part of the reason that warner was trying to you know uh promote Lakeith Stanfield as the lead and Daniel Kaluuya as the supporting was so that they wouldn't have a split vote, right? So that's a possibility that might come into here where neither the Judas and the Black Messiah wins because, you know, they end up, uh, they end up, you know, splitting the vote into that, to, in that regard. Um, I think Trial of Chicago 7, um, you know, Sacha Bion Cohen, he's a solid one. I think it might get love potentially elsewhere, um, you know, in, in, in the race. Uh, and I think, you know, the other thing is that one night, this is, this is one night in Miami's only nomination. I know there was, there is a contingent who really do, does like that movie. So 
in in that regard, they may promote uh, or where one is competitive. I think that that's where they may try to put on for for Leslie Odom Jr. So I actually have Paul Racy as um, a bit of a long shot, if anything, at best. Uh, most like more likely, he's happy to be there more than anything else. I think at this point. Interesting. Yeah, I, I do think that there is a, a, a slight possibility that Kaluuya and Stanfield do split the vote. I think, you know, very often the case, especially you look at a category like uh, Best Original Song, when there's like a Disney musical out, they can easily get two to three nominations in that category. And you're like, oh, well, they're totally going to split their votes. But what usually ends up happening is people go, no, there's there's clearly one favorite in this group, and we're all going to kind of coalesce behind it. I almost sort of feel like that's going to happen with, uh, with this, where voters are, are going to go behind uh, Daniel Kaluuya for this role, for this performance. And and I think that's going to be good. But in the off chance that they do start splitting votes, yeah, we maybe can see something like Sasha Baron Cohen sneaking up and getting the award, especially since he's a double nominee for his screenplay for Borat subsequent movie film. That could be an interesting little wrinkle to sort of pay attention to, to see how things play out, especially since it seems like this year, there's a lot of people with multiple nominations. And if they really want to uh, I don't know, be fair and give everyone their participation trophies. I could definitely see, you know, uh, the awards being given out uh, more democratically in that sense. Yeah, and I think I think just if that's the case, I think just Paul Rezzi is just in the unfortunate position where I think we'll talk about this later. Sound of Metal is definitely going to have at least one Oscar, I'm, I'm almost assuredly at this point. Um, and so it's not in this category, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. All right. The next one we're going to look at is Best Film Editing, and the nominees are The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Where do you land for this category for it? So I saw an interesting stat, actually, that um, I think for the past some number of years, um, a significant number of years, um, the editing winner has always won one of the sound categories um, because sound and editing go hand in hand. Now, obviously, this year they've combined the sound categories together into just one. Um, and again, I, I'm alluding to the fact that I think that that uh, Sound of Metal is in the lead for sound. Um, so that may actually bolster its chances for editing here. Uh, that being said, I personally have it as a Maybe somewhere between Front Runner and Dark Horse. Uh, I think it's, it, I have it second on my ballot, uh, behind, uh, Trial of Chicago 7 for editing. Interesting. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I didn't know that statistic. So that's really good to, to know. Uh, and that does kind of put a, an interesting little wrinkle on it. I had originally categorized this as just happy to be here. I really think that uh, you look at, you know, film editing also has a very high correlation with the best picture winner. And so if you look at who is nominated in best picture, best director and best film editing, and there you basically get your true front runners. And in this category, then that would mean uh, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman are the only two real front runners. The other three only have a best picture nomination, not a best director nomination. So that's going to be really interesting. And and really, I think Nomadland is probably going to be the the one to beat in this category. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But yeah, I I have it just sort of happy to be there because Trial of the Chicago Seven relies so heavily on the dialogue and the pacing, and I personally think it, it does handle it well. Uh, so I could see that being there. I haven't seen The Father, but from what I've heard from from people like you and other people who have seen it, editing does play a big part in it. So I'm really curious to sort of see. All these movies, I think, really do a good job with their editing. Sound of Metal, almost apart from their sound editing, has the least amount of visible editing. Yeah, it, vis, visual, visual editing, I think, is, is kind of like the down part, downfall here. I think... It's tough, right? I think this is a category where I think everyone's really, really close. So it's really hard to, to pick who's going to win here. There's no one, I think, head and shoulders above. They all do it in their own way, right? Like I alluded to, Sound of Metal. Obviously, you know, sound editing is kind of under sound, but it, 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 it kind of overlaps to some degree. It's an audiovisual medium. You can't really separate one from the other, you know, completely. Um, Trial, I think, makes the most use of the editing, um, especially uh, in kind of like the flashbacks against the, the court testimonies. Um, Nomadland, we'll talk about in a little bit. The Father, like I said, um, when, when you came on my show, is just or incredibly... Um, requires the editing to really sell the point and promising young woman does have some really interesting editing i'll say um, not a bad way just like it has it does some different things with the editing so everyone mm-hmm. has an argument to be the winner i think which makes for i think one of the more exciting races this year yeah and i think the fact that 
I, I also can maybe see a, a path for any one of these five movies to win. Also maybe puts in doubt a little bit of who is going to be the best picture winner as well. Hmm. Oh, I have many thoughts on best pictures. We'll get to that later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next category is best original screenplay. And the nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. For me, I I think this is a bit of a long shot category. Uh, I personally look at the screenplay categories of who isn't going to win best picture, and that's what they will give it to. And I look at either... Uh, Aaron Sorkin's, you know, really snappy dialogue in Trial of Chicago 7 or even Juice and the Black Messiah with its really powerful message as maybe the two frontrunners. Sound of Metal, you know, one of its strengths is it relies on silence a lot. And so I think that might actually hurt its actual screenplay nomination if they are looking for something that has a bit more dialogue. But then if you're talking about if, if voters are looking at this as what is the most original movie of the group, I think Sound of Metal might have a bit of a chance then that way if that's the way that they're voting. Obviously, since I'm not a voter or a giant group of voters, it's really hard to uh, predict how they will go because you really can interpret the category two different ways. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I have this. I have uh, Sound of Metal as happy to be there for original screenplay. I think um, the Ryder Guilds Awards, where I think just this past week when we were, when we were recording this, um, and I believe Promising Young woman beat out trial of the chicago seven there so i think you know that's the current front runner i believe for this category um i don't think minari was eligible i believe for the uh for the for the wga awards i'm not entirely sure um but i think uh promising woman and trial would be my two top two choices for this film with minari i think as a third party because i just really love the film um and so i think that that's puts me having Sound of Metal and Judas as kind of like the fourth and fifth places somewhere in there. So that's why I'm not as hot on on Sound of Metal for original screenplay. Yeah, it's it's really tough to say. I I think I'm I'm in agreement with you as far as it's probably one of the more unlikely choices to win that category. Now, the last category for uh, Sound of Metal is Best Sound, which, you know, you've already alluded to. The nominees are Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, Soul, and Sound of Metal. This is an interesting one, especially because normally this category along, well, the two sound categories have now been combined into one, and the visual effects are usually so heavily dominated by blockbuster movies, big war movies, big action epics, those sort of things, and we really didn't get that at all this year. We have one movie, Greyhound, which is a uh, war movie, but you know, as far as war movies go, it's pretty intimate, and it also came out on Apple Plus or Apple TV, and I think it was always going to come out directly to Apple TV. So you look at the rest of this category, and it doesn't have your usual typical nominees, which could allow for some really interesting stuff. But as you've alluded to a few times, it's an absolute frontrunner. So I'd love for you to kind of talk me through that category. Yeah, so I think this is the first film in a very long time when I actually had a sense that, wow, this made amazing use of sound, you know, separate from the soundtrack, right? Like sound design, sound editing, sound fully. Um, I think the only other one that potentially comes close, I think was Ad Astra. I think when it was nominated for one of the sound categories a little bit ago. Um, So I think that just obviously the subject matter of it, you know, of, I think this is the first time when you the sound design is really used as a storytelling medium to convey over the course of the story how how Rizamet's character is personified over time. And to make use of sound design as a characterization tool within a film is such like a frankly novel concept I, I have never really seen before. I think that really pretty makes this a clear front runner more so than what any anyone else does most other films use sound as to build the environment but here is the sound is used for characterization i think that sets it apart yeah you're you're absolutely right it's it's not very often where you you watch a movie and you immediately think about the technical aspects behind the film and usually when it does it's a bit of a hindrance, you know, you watch something like uh, Tenet and you're like, wow, that sound design was terrible. I could not understand anything they were saying. Or you watch like a Transformers movie and it's like, that was a lot of noise. I don't know exactly what was happening, but there sure was a lot of it. Whereas this, you know, you understood that the sound design was as much of a character as everyone else in this movie, whether that was uh, portraying sound as someone losing their hearing and getting that, you know, ringing sensation in their head and the dullness of everything around them to suddenly everything being super heightened. 
And then also using complete silence as well, which was a very effective tool. I don't really want to spoil too much about this movie, but all of these sort of aspects really work well together in order to create uh, a full uh, environment of us understanding who this character is and what he's experiencing. And, you know, if we were to probably put, you know, if I was to say, uh, let's put some money on some categories to win, this would probably be one of the safest bets for me. This is, I think, the safest bet uh, in the entire in the entire Oscar race. I would say, yeah, it's an absolute no brainer. Yeah. yeah, I would say the other thing on on the sound category before we move on to the, to to the next topic. I think um, most sound categories in the past have been like maybe one scene that stands out. Here, it's the entire movie. I think, which is another thing going for it, where I'm constantly thinking about the sound, whereas other scenes are like, oh, that one scene stood out for the sound, and then kind of you forget about it for the rest of the film. Yeah, you are you are absolutely right. So moving on, the next movie that we are going to talk about is Minari. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. The movie has six nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Steven Yuen, Best Supporting Actress, Ya Jung Yoon, Best Director, Lee Isaac Chung, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Original Score. So for categories where I've already listed off the nominees, I'm not going to repeat myself. I've already mentioned, we've already mentioned the Best Picture stuff already. So I'm curious to know where you think Minari sort of slots in. All right, here's my hot take, Dakota. I think Minari can win Best Picture. I have it as a front runner against Nomadland. That is a, that is a very bold take. I know we had kind of you know talking a little bit back and forth. I originally think I had it listed as a long shot, but the more I thought about it and your sort of convincing argument, I do think it has a bit of a chance. So I bumped it up to Dark Horse. I don't think it's quite a front runner. I think it really is, you know, Nomadland's category to lose, I guess, so to speak. After that, you know, we maybe could get into some uh, some toss-ups, whether it's Judas and the Black Messiah or the Trial of Chicago 7. But whatever you think is the number two, I think Minari is probably the number three overall. And that's why I kind of have it as a dark horse. Uh, but I could definitely listen to an argument where it bumps up to front runner with Nomadland. Okay, now that I've given you uh, your clickbait uh, audio clip for the for your advertising of the episode, um, I here, here's how it breaks down, right? So in the Oscars, right, generally there is one artsy film and then kind of one more populist film, right? Um, and in this case, right, the, the the artsy films are, I would say, you know. Um, Nomadland for sure, um, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Father, and to some degree, Sound of Metal. The more populist films would be uh, Minari, Trial of Chicago 7, Promising Young Woman, and maybe Mank, but I would, I would have Mank not super high. Um, so in any case, it, it generally comes down to one of those two. Last year, we saw 1917, a populist film, against a more artsy film, uh, you know, uh, Parasite to some degree, right? Similarly, uh, Moonlight versus La La Land. It's going to come down to one of those two. So. That's kind of the the thing. Now, now the question is, you know, obviously Nomadland is the lead film for the artsy category, right? Um, For the populist side, right, between Minari, Trial of Chicago 7, and Promising Young Woman, uh, I think Trial of Chicago 7's stock has somewhat declined uh, in recent weeks um, just because it hasn't been winning uh, a ton of, um, you know, it missed out on the WGA Awards, for example, um, against Promising Young Woman. Now, Promising Young Woman is doing particularly well. Um, you know, it, 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 it of course, be, did beat Trial of Chicago 7. Kerry Mulligan's been doing well at the awards. So there's some potential there. That being said, from what I've heard of people talking about the film, right? I think Promising Young Woman is a very divisive film where you either love it or you hate it, right? I don't think there's a middle ground there. I've not heard, I have not heard anyone say anything bad about Minari. Everyone is at the very least, I like the film to I absolutely love the film. And because the Oscars is the best picture's preferential voting, Minari is likely going to be relatively high on people's list. Maybe not, uh, maybe not the top one, but it's definitely going to be, you know, maybe the top two or three slots for a lot of people. I think just on how much they liked the film, even if it's not quite Nomadland. So there was a case in like a runoff situation where Minari ends up having broader support, um, is able to sneak into a Best Picture win because of preferential voting. Now. 
I will say that this is probably still a somewhat of a long odds situation. I think everything is a long odds against Nomadland at this point. I think the real bellwether for this will be when it comes down to the Screen Actress Guild Awards. So Nomadland is nominated for Best Ensemble uh, at the Best uh, Screen Actors Guilds. I believe many people probably have it as one of the top contenders for that. Um, the Screen Actors Guild is the largest voting block within the Academy. And if they win, you know, they have also they also have two acting awards, right? Uh, Steve Yuen and Yeo Yu for actor and supporting actor and you know alan kim also deserves note for you know uh getting the best child actor i believe at the critics awards so there's a lot of love for the cast here and if the if the screen actress guild can show that they love minari that they're behind minari i think that's going to help push its chances up i uh, i think one of the first bellwethers last year that Parasite was going to do well was when they won the best ensemble cast uh, at uh, the Screen Actors Guild Award, even if there was no um, no acting awards there. Now, Minari does have the one thing against Minari is it doesn't have a cinematography or an editing award or nomination within the Oscars, um, but it still does, again, have acting, directing, screenplay, and also score. That's kind of like another technical category behind it. So all of that comes together where I don't think it's going, it's a sure thing to win, but I think of all the other films against Nomadland, it stands the best shot at having kind of that populist movement behind it uh, to push it to victory. You said you were saying some hot takes. I think you were spitting some hot fire there. <laughs> I do my best. I do my best. Um, and, you know, I, I, I would be remiss to, to mention, and you know, this is very unfortunate, you know, that I have to bring this up. Um, in light of a, a lot of like kind of the stop AAPI hate, stop Asian hate movements going on, in light of the recent hate crimes against Asian and Asian Americans, um, because of you know COVID vaccine and longstanding institutional racism, um, there is a larger conversation about pushing for uh, Asian excellence, I think. And this might be one way that the Academy or, uh, or the voters might want to do so. Um, it's, an, uh, it's an unfortunate thing that you are kind of like trying to find a silver lining in like a terrible situation. But if we are going to take that in consideration, that may be something that comes into play here. Mm, you're, you're absolutely right. I know we like to think that anything like the Oscars exists in a vacuum, but it really doesn't. There is often outside forces that uh, will lead to how people vote. I know directly, you know, things like Moonlight uh, winning because of response of, of Donald Trump being elected president. You have a, a queer black film and that ended up winning Best Picture. So it would not shock me in the slightest if this was a bit of a statement as well as far as we support and love uh, everyone, uh, especially in the Asian community. And I think the way that you you were sort of rationalizing the way uh, it might not be everyone's favorite film, but it very likely will be high up on everyone's ballot. Whereas something like Promising Young Woman, I could very easily be seeing a lot of people being like, it's either number one or number eight for them. Right. And, you know, again, not to say that, you know, it's going to win on technicality. It doesn't deserve to win. I this is my favorite film of everything I've watched so far for the Oscars, hands down. Um, it's gonna be. It's gonna take a lot to to unseat this for me uh, in in the Oscars death race. Um, and yeah, it's definitely my favorite film, and I, I I believe it deserves all the awards it gets, even if it that's only a couple here and there. I I agree too. Originally, I hadn't seen it, so it wasn't on my list. But yeah, it has been has now become my favorite film of this Oscar season. So let's move on to the next category, and that is Best Actor for Steven Yuen. I, we, we talked about this a bit with Riz Ahmed, and, and I would have to say that I think he's a bit of a long shot to win. He doesn't have uh, you know, that really big pivotal moment. He does a little bit at the very end after, uh, after his barn catches on fire, but it's not that super big dramatic moment of like when you're watching a movie – and you go, oh, yeah, this is the scene that they're going to play the clip of when they win the Oscar. I, I can't really think of what clip it might be for him. Yeah, I think Minari's, Minari's acting really is an ensemble effort. Um, Steve Yuen mm -hmm. definitely, I think, again, tops to him being the first Asian American in 93 years uh, to be nominated for the uh, – for the for the lead acting category um i definitely look forward to to what he has in this in his future career but frankly just against again you know anthony hopkins and and bozeman at 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 the top and uh even riz ahmed who has a bit more of a soey acting uh situation um he is uh i long sought last just happy to be there yeah yeah i would say the only person i would put him above is probably Gary Oldman just because of Oldman's very recent win. All right, we'll go to the next category and that is a best supporting actress for Yu Young Yoon. And, uh, 
also, this is a bit of a, a bit of a sort of a tough category to to label. I would maybe say supporting actress as a whole might be one of the toughest to predict. The other nominees are Maria Bakalova for Borat subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank. And I look at this and I could conceivably see a path for almost any of them. You know, Maria Bakalova is getting huge raves and could really push her over the top. Glenn Close has been nominated a million times and never has won. So this could be her career achievement award. Olivia Coleman, even though she just recently won over Glenn Close, the Academy really does like her. And Amanda Seyfried, every once in a while, they do like to kind of, I know she's not like an ingenue, super new to the game, but she is still fairly young comparatively to the rest of the nominees. So I wonder how this all sort of shakes out. Where do you find that Yoon will place in this group? Uh, I have her probably a front runner um if only right because i think again i i don't have them all memorized off the top of my head but i know that there's been a lot of craziness around this category with some people getting nominated for some awards some people not getting nominated for some other awards i think the only one yu jung yoon has missed was the uh golden globes which is you know kind of a a, a crazy award season anyway um but i think yu jung yoon is the one who's been the most consistently showing up in a lot of the precursor awards, so to speak. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of people lo- love Glenn Close. Some people love Maria Bakalova. Some love Coleman. Some Seyfried. Um, and so, but all of them have been snubbed at at some at different points. So I think the the two frontrunners I think are Maria Bakalova and Yoo Jung Yoon. Um, if only because Yoo Jung Yoon is kind of universally beloved to some degree um and then maria bakalova i think has the most recent hype uh um you know winning the uh i believe she she, she got the golden globes i think she, she won uh the critics choice also uh most recently which um you know it, it kind of gives her that quote-unquote momentum um but i think Yeo mm-hmm. Jun it'll come down again to we'll see where the uh where the screen actor guild awards come down to really get a bellwether on where it's at um i really love her performance he's definitely one of the top two for me though yeah, I would I would categorize her as a dark horse as well. I think she really does stand a chance. This category is so wide open. It's it's hard for me to put money on a favorite. Like we're, I was joking around earlier, if you were to put money on a category, this would probably be the one I would least want to bet yeah. any sort of money on because I really can see it shaking out literally any way possible. There's not anyone in this group I would discount. Uh, and because of that, that makes it a little bit trickier. I do think she does have enough of the precursor nominations and a few of the wins uh, to really maybe help her propel her forward. And especially if that ends up, you know, she being the the only winner of the two actors of this movie, I, I could see that being a, a path forward for her. The, the other thing, like kind of alluding to that is, you know, as much as I said, I think it is the front runner alongside Nomadland for all the reasons I listed. Supporting actress is probably Minari's best chance to actually win an Oscar, just because Nomadland is so far ahead in, in Best Picture. Um, I think pe- if people want to reward Minari, it's going to be in this category. Mm, yeah, I, I I absolutely think that that could be very true too. So the next category is Best Director with nominee Lee Isaac Chung. Um, and then I'll go over the nominees as well. They are also Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. I look at this category, and and I think that um, Chung could be the, the dark horse. He's probably the number two behind Chloe Zhao, which we're going to talk about her, obviously, in a little bit. So it's obviously a lot of repeating ourselves here. But uh, I could, you know... I often like it when Best Director and Best Picture go to different winners. And if that's the case, I can very easily see a way where, you know, Nomadland wins Best Picture and Lee Isaac Chung wins Minari uh, for Best Director. So I'm curious to know about what your thoughts are on this category. Uh, yeah, I think that would be that would be a pretty sweet situation um, to, ha- to have happen. Um, I think just by virtue. So I think Thomas Vintenberg with another round just has no momentum going into this category. He's happy to be there just because, you know, mm-hmm. it's the international films, Parasite aside, usually, or, and I guess also Roma. Um, but, you know, those had a lot, a lot of momentum behind them. Another round does not. So I don't think he's, he's in the consideration for, for the lead. Emerald Fennel, I think, has a lot of buzz, but again, it's kind of like love it or hate the film kind of situation uh, here. So I think that that works against her. David Fincher is like a very boring choice, so to speak. Um, so I think that's where a lot of people are 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 not going to be as enthused about him. Whereas I, 
I think again, right? Like people really like Minari. He it has wide support. Um, I wouldn't say like within the film. I don't know. I, I it's hard for me to say that there was any really really you know breathtaking directing. Um, but it was very solid. And I think the fact that like, it, like Chloe Zhao, it's a writing. They were both a writer and directing of the film. I think kind of blends the two together to some degree, which we'll talk about screenplay in a little bit. Um, so. I think by process of elimination, again, did a great job, but mostly by process of elimination, I have him also as like the dark horse behind Chloe Zhao, who just has the momentum. Yeah. I almost wonder, and I'll probably end up talking about it more on the the Mank episode that I do, if pitcher and director do split, does David Fincher get a Lifetime Achievement Award here? That could be a case. In, in that case, he would be, you know, I, I think, you know, Lee Isaac Chung is somewhere between, um, somewhere between Long Sot and Dark Horse in that situation then. Right between the two mm-hmm. and the three spot. Yeah, obviously that's that's a bit of a, a hypothetical scenario that I'm not too sure how exactly it's going to play out, but I could maybe see that coming into play. All right, so as you just alluded to, best original screenplay, it is a nominee there as well, and I had already gone over the nominations earlier, so I'm not going to repeat them. How do you put Lee Isaac Chung's chances for this nomination? Um, so for original screenplay, I have it at third. Right, I kind of alluded to earlier. I think Promising Young Woman has. Um, the most momentum for screenplay. Um, and Travel to Chicago Seven. I think like going back to what I said about Best Picture having like a populist and an artsy kind of take on it. Um, both of these are quote unquote populist films. Whereas like you know, Promising Woman was one of the higher grossing best uh Best Picture nominees this year. Um, so it definitely has like the reach. Um, but I think in terms of subject matter. Um, Trial of Chicago 7 is a very typical Oscar uh, type of film, whereas opposed to Promising Young Woman, it's just like very new and very fresh and very different. Um, so I think that's kind of like the, the top two here. Um, Minari, I think, is very similar to Nomadland. And and, I, and if we're going to talk about later about kind of like our thoughts on these films overall, um, there's a lot of parallels I see between Minari um, and Nomadland. And in that case, right, it's an interesting situation where perhaps if people liked what happened was happening in Nomadland in terms of the screenplay ad- in the in terms of the screenplay and adapted, they may like what's happening in Minari as well. So I have it as at third in that situation, right? Um, I think the momentum mm-hmm. is behind Trial and Promising Young Woman, but uh, alongside I think Minari could, could could sneak in there. Yeah, I I think it's a bit of a dark horse as well, uh, just because if you know we go off the my theory that this category might go to someone who doesn't win Best Picture. Obviously, it doesn't have to face off against Nomadland in this category and say Nomadland does win Best Picture. I could see that then this being their way of celebrating and being like, and here is your Oscar, basically. Especially since Lee Isaac Chung is a double nominee, it would also might signal that he will not be winning Best Director. Of this is your one Oscar, basically assume it's for both, but it's really just for Best Original Screenplay. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one one fun fact about the screenplay is he actually wrote this in Excel initially. He just collected all of his memories in in Excel, um, about eighty memories or so, before compiling them into the actual screenplay. So uh, that was a that was a fun little fun fun fact I found out. That's pretty hilarious, especially coming from someone like me who actually does type a lot in Excel. Uh, I don't know how you would translate that to a script but i could definitely see how it would be very easy to just be like uh all right in row five i'm gonna include this little note okay now in in row seven i'm gonna write this and then in row 52 i've got this going on (laughs) and it probably is pretty easy to to label things and and move things around that way so i could definitely see of maybe uh maybe how he did that where i could probably see myself writing a screenplay that way too yeah for sure (laughs) All right, the last nominee is Best Original Score, and the nominees for this are The Five Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Soul. So this is the category of the two Nine Inch Nails nominations between Mank and Soul, and I do really think that they're going to be the the two real frontrunners for this. I don't think you can maybe count out to Five Bloods as well. News of the World, I'm pretty sure you can just toss out and call that just happy to be there. But Minari is a bit of an interesting. It's so subtle of a score compared to some of the other ones, which have a little bit more bombast to it. How do you feel for this category? Yeah, 
Uh, I would have News of the World at fifth, and then Minari and and the Five Bloods kind of splitting third and fourth place somewhere. Um, if you like more bombast, definitely go with the Five Bloods, especially with their use of like you know pop music. Um, Minari is definitely more understated. Um, frankly, I can't even remember too much of the score to be quite honest. Um, but I think just just the fact that it's a race between Soul and Mank make this that it's very difficult to see past those two. Um, you know, before before getting to anyone else. Yeah, I, I basically feel the same way. I would probably put, you know, News of the World and Minari at the four or five spots, probably um, with Minari being in fourth place. And I, I just don't see really a path forward to go up. Uh, it's It really is, you know, a, a one movie race with two other movies basically there to play a spoiler. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about our final film of this group. And that is Nomadland. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. I know. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. So this movie is also nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actress for Frances McDormand, Best Director for Chloe Zhao, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Editing, and Best Cinematography. So let's start with a big one again with Best Picture. We've now referenced it a few times as far as it being the the possible front runner. Do you have any additional thoughts on that? Or is this pretty much said and done that it's very likely going to be the winner? Uh, it feels bad saying it's almost a sure thing. I'm not going to say it's a sure thing. Right? Anything can happen at the Oscars, frankly speaking. Um, maybe it's just a case where like there's just not enough momentum between um between you know when it came out and now and you know I, I i mean i've heard more people talking about minari and such um in terms of like the actual content of the film as opposed to you know just in our little oscars community of like looking at oh the precursors and so on right but like in terms of the actual content of the film there's more discussion about minari and the other films than nomadland but you know, all if you go by historical context and, and kind of all the front runners, Nomadland is the most is the is the heavy favorite by a, by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Since we don't really have any of those big prestige movies this year, it is. Uh, I don't know if it's easier to to maybe predict of who's going to win, but I can definitely see the the easiest easiest path yeah. forward for Nomadland to win Best Picture. Uh, I would put it very comfortably in the number one spot. And then you can obviously make arguments for some of the other movies, whether it is Minari, whether if it is Promising Young Woman or Judas and the Black Messiah, whatever, Trial of the Chicago 7, of figuring out a way to find a path to to overtake Nomadland for Best Picture. But I would say very comfortably, uh, Nomadland is the very likely Best Picture winner. Even if it doesn't end up winning, I would still say it is the odds-on favorite. I mean, at the very least, it sets up a fun David and Goliath situation come Oscar night to see if anyone were able to unseat the champion. Which is almost funny that Nomadland, the you know the quiet, intimate movie starring one person really in a group of non-actors, is the Goliath in this scenario. Yeah. Well, speaking of that one person in the movie, the Best Actress nominee, uh, which is Frances McDormand for this film, but the other ones are Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andre Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, and Carey Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Where do you put Frances McDormand in this race? So I have her as somewhere between a dark horse and a long shot, so somewhere in the two or three slot. Um, I think Carey Mulligan is probably the odds-on favorite at the moment. Um, if, if if there is one place Promising Young Woman gets, gets rewarded, it's in this category. Um, I think... Because Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, aside from some technical categories, really the only other category is Chadwick Boseman. I think Viola Davis, um, despite what Gold Derby might say, actually has, I I think, has a decent shot. Um, haven't seen Vanessa Kirby and Pieces of a Woman just yet. Um, but in that case, I think Frances McDormand did a great job acting, but I think in terms of like the showiness, it didn't quite stand out as a, kind of in a similar situation to Steve Yuen in some regard, where it didn't really 
so as much. Maybe a little bit more close to like the Riz Ahmed uh, situation where there were some soy moments, but not to the same performative level that Viola Davis or Kerry Mulligan did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I if I was to look at this, you know, I, I look at it and see a bit of a two-headed race between McDormand and Mulligan with a few different things maybe going against both of them. McDormand just won in 2018 for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which really does hurt her stock because the Academy does not like to give out awards in such a short period of time. Carrie Mulligan, while gives a very showy and very excellent performance, is in a movie that I think is going to have its fair share of critics of people being like, I'm absolutely not voting for it. So maybe that does create a path for Viola Davis to come in and win in a movie that features an excellent performance of a movie that I was, frankly, a little indifferent on overall. Um, so it's tough to really say this. I think those are the really the only three likely winners for this category. I would say Frances McDormand is maybe a front runner, but only in the sense of she's a front runner tied for also being a dark horse. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel that because Nomadland is going to get so much love elsewhere, um, I think voters might want to like just, just spread out the votes a little bit, and and maybe uh, Frances McDormand doesn't get it. Like especially if you said they don't want to reward it back to back so soon, right? Yeah, and I think on the flip side though is if Nomadland ends up sweeping most of its categories, this might also get caught up in all the attention in getting a win as well, which you can mm. see that happening. Yeah, it's really a coin toss, I think, at that point then. All right, the next category is Best Director. I mentioned the nominees already, so I won't repeat them again, but you have Chloe Zhao for this one. And frankly, I think she's the front runner. Obviously, we mentioned in the Minari category that maybe they'll split Best Picture and Best Director and Chloe Zhao won't win it because if she wins Best Picture, since she's a producer on that, she's still getting her award technically. But uh, but I think it's pretty safe to say that that Chloe is the front runner. Yeah, it's just kind of nuts that she's producer, director, um, writer and editor on this film. Um, the only things he didn't do and started in, in, in herself. So like that's that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I, I was going to talk about that after the the fourth nomination of hers. But yeah, this is crazy that she has four nominations and she has a real chance to like walk away with maybe three of them. Yeah. So the be- the next category is best adapted screenplay, and the other nominees are Borat's subsequent movie film, The Father, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. This is a bit of an interesting one because I don't think there's any real threats to, you know, to the best picture race that will impact it. The only way that they might not give it this award is if they basically give Sasha Baron Cohen his double Oscar this way. Other than that, you know, White Tiger, I think you can pretty much knock out as just happy to be there. One Night in Miami, uh, maybe a bit of a dark horse or a long shot. The Father, same thing. I think Nomadland is the front runner for this. Yeah, Nomadland is definitely the front runner. I would, you know, if if we were talking about the other nominees, there was definitely some 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 debate about who comes second. Um, I would actually have the Father as second potentially, um, but that's just me. Yeah, you look at maybe like who is getting support in the different categories. And I think that's something that Nomadland, you know, I was just saying Francis McDormand might get swept up in in all the hype and and get in that way. And I think this is a similar sort of thing. You know, there isn't a lot to this screenplay. It's a lot of standing around and staring and people just having quiet personal conversations that aren't like speaking really heightened Aaron Sorkin-esque dialogue and stuff like that. But at the same time, there's a lot of truth to a lot of the scenes where you really understand the pain and the impact that these people are going through that was caused by this economic downturn and people that were losing their homes and were homeless and forced to live a nomadic lifestyle. It's not a flashy script, but it really does get the job done. I think where the strength of this script is, it's similar to Minari, right? So I mentioned Minari is like a series of memories. Um, Nomadland is functionally that, right? It covers, it takes place over the year of the life of Francis McDormand's character. And this is like essentially a series of memories. That's what the screenplay is, right? Um, like you said, not a lot of dialogue. It's very atmospheric to, to some degree. Um, and, Again, if people like this one, then maybe that helps Minari. The other thing um, is I think where screenplay might come in is if it does commentary on something in society, right? Um, you know, in an original screenplay, you know, Promising Young Woman, comments on rape culture, uh, Trial of Chicago 7 on, you know, police brutality, Minari, the immigrant experience, um, and, and you know, Judas and Black Messiah, the black experience, um, Sound of Metal, you know, the uh, the – 
you know, being a minority experience yourself as a disabled person. For adapted screenplay, um, I think what Nomadland speaks to is kind of like the idea of economic disenfranchisement um, and wanting to like disconnect from, you know, quote unquote, the system, right? Get off the grid. And I think if anything, that's where I think of all of these categories here. Um, I think it's the one that speaks most presently to what, what's going on in society. Um, and I think that's where the strength for the adapted screenplay uh, nomination comes in. I could not agree more with you. So yeah, I, I, I do believe that. Now, the next category is Best Film Editing. I mentioned the, the nominees back in Sound of Metal, but this might be the only category where I don't think that Nomadland is a front runner. I would probably put it as a dark horse. Um, so it's going to be sort of interesting to sort of see where this goes. Like we talked about, this is the fourth nomination for Chloe Zhao in what is a historic event for the most nominations a woman has ever received for a single uh, Oscar ceremony. Uh, so that's really impressive and i cannot believe that they actually ended up doing it because i remember i was reading an article i felt like maybe two or three months ago where i was like hey chloe Zhao has a chance to make some real history of being the first woman to get four nominations in the same year for the same movie i was like wow that's crazy i don't know how that'll happen but uh sure enough it really did happen and so like absolute all the kudos to her for being able to to get in all these different categories that said as far as editing goes uh we talked about you know uh showy editing and things like that this is the exact opposite where there is almost no real uh, big showy cuts to this film. It's a lot of static shots of uh, landscapes and long shots on conversations where there isn't even a lot of, you know, uh, shot reverse shot sort of typical setups. It really is the editing. I almost feel got its nomination for its subtlety for its lack of editing at times of trusting its director and its actors and its story to tell the job without needing to over edit. And so for that, I wonder if maybe uh, it's a bit of a hindrance for it. And so that's why I would maybe call it a dark horse where the option being, if it gets swept up and wins everything, it could also maybe win this. I would say that again, going back to this category trial and the father, I think use editing the most in order to tell the story. Um, and then Nomadland is, I think, somewhere in like third or fourth for this category, probably tied with Sound of Metal to some degree, um, you know, or, or maybe maybe a little bit behind it. Who knows if, if Sound of Metal goes well with the uh, with the uh, with the sound stuff? But I think where where the editing comes in is in like those sequences where it's just like her living her life and what I talked about before, just her memories of being a nomad. I think that's where the editing really comes in on like how to juxtapose those different memories against each other um and and kind of build that that lived experience as opposed to like a narrative right mm-hmm. yeah and and well i'll obviously end up talking about it a bit more when i get to my promising young woman episode but that has probably the not the most showy editing but the most clear distinctions of the different editing styles that the film has going on for it because at parts of it are very music video like and parts of it is very like grounded almost mm-hmm. drama thriller aspects to it yep. uh and yeah sound of Med- uh, Sound of Metal is also in the sort of quieter film landscape that Nomadland is. The only difference being because Nomadland is a front runner for Best Picture, that's what might give it a bit of an edge as far as bumping up from being a four or a five to maybe a two or a three. Yeah, for sure. And then the last category for Nomadland is Best Cinematography. And the nominees for this are Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. I would have to say that this is probably the front runner for this award because of all the beautiful landscapes that I briefly mentioned in the editing category. You know, you get to see some real beauty of the American West and Southwest and and different aspects of that and just these beautiful sunsets, sunrises, all this great stuff that's going on that I really think does help with this. And you look at some of the other nominees of this category. Trial of the Chicago 7, I've always kind of been not a fan of Aaron Sorkin's direction and the way he directs his camera movements. It's a little bit too much of uh, someone who doesn't really know what they're doing, that they're just a writer, which is what he is. Uh, And the other ones, News of the World, I think absolutely has no chance to win. Mank, I don't think has enough support despite its 10 nominations, which leaves you with 
Judas and the Black Messiah is really the only other contender. I am actually of the mind. This is a little bit of a different take. Um, so Nomadland, yes. I think Nomadland does the Western beautiful landscape thing. If there's one thing that the Oscars really like, it's beautiful landscapes. Um, that kind of knocks out news of the world because Nomadland, I think, does it a little bit better. Um, I will say Judas and the Black Messiah does really interesting things, especially my personal favorite parts are the internal car sots. Um, you know, of, of the, uh, of the film. Um, I think that's what their cinematography science. I'll say Mank is my number two. And I think it's going to be a race between Nomadland and Mank. Um, if only because I don't think Mank's getting, going to get any of the other, um, you know, uh, higher, no- uh, categories that it's, it's nominated for, despite having like the most nominations. Um, but I think cinematography is one of the places that science because if there's one other thing in cinematography that the Oscars like, aside from beautiful landscapes, it's black and white. Um, and Mank it mm. definitely delivers on that. So, I mean, you know, li- the lighthouse last year, right? Like got nominated, uh, only because I think it had like great black and white, uh, cinematography as well. Um, so I think Mank probably has a stronger chance than I think you might think. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's something that, that should be considered. Uh, but for me, I think it, it's a, a pretty easy front-runner designation to put on this, even if it doesn't end up eventually winning. Yeah, yeah, definitely front-runner for Nomadland. Now, with that, we've kind of gone through all the, the breakdowns. I just want to kind of quickly recap what we think the amount of awards that each of these movies are going to win. For Sound of Metal, I really think Best Sound is the only one it's definitely going to win. Other than that, you know, we could talk about The Dark Horse and The Long Shot, but I really think it's only going to walk away with one award. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, Sound of Metal is, is definitely in for sound. Um, the others are kind of like somewhere like not it's not front-runner for any of the others, I think. Yeah. Uh, Moving on to Minari. This is a bit of a a tricky one where I think it's either going to walk away with nothing or it can easily walk away with anywhere between two and four wins. Um, I think so. so Supporting actress. I'm going to put that down as one. I think Minari is going to win. And I think, yeah, you're right. It's good. I think it's going to be probably two. I think, right. I think, Supporting actress and then one of director or picture. If we go with your theory that it'll it, that they'll split between between the two, um, I think it's probably going to win one of those two. I just I hope it's picture, um, but I would also be happy with like a director win as well. Okay, and then lastly, we've got Nomadland. I think it's very easily going to be four or five wins uh, with only one loss, and I think it's pretty easy to predict that for me. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, I, I'm a little bit more conservative with probably, you know, uh, best picture, best director, uh, adapted screenplay and cinematography. So probably four, maybe, so probably three to four for me, um, if we go with a split of picture and director. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's great. I think, uh, I think we did a really good job breaking all those down. Paulo, I do want to thank you very much for, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. What is coming up for the Oscars death race podcast now that the nominations are out? Yeah. So I'm working through all of the films whenever I have, uh, when I have time to, to watch all of them. Um, you know, last week's episode, uh, at, when the time this episode comes out, uh, will have been the, uh, above the line category. So actress, uh, director and writing, if I can get all of them done, um, before I record the episode later today. Um, and then this week's episode, I believe I have set up as all of the international films. Um, so that would be um, all the international category films plus the two Italian films, um, uh, the, the life ahead, um, for original song and Pinocchio uh, for the various technical categories. Um, and then next week will be the documentary categories. Um, the week after will be visual effects and animated films. And then the last one will be all kind of like the leftover technical categories as well, um, as well as the live action sorts. And then making my own predictions after having seen everyone, uh, what I think and what I would like to win. So that's the Oscars Death Race podcast. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, check us out. Um, I actually had an episode, funnily enough, before the nominations where I talked about these three exact films, uh, Sound of Metal, Minari, and Nomadland with Ray Liu of the Real Asian podcast. Um, you know, we went a little bit more spoiler in depth about what we thought about the film and what they stood for and represented. Really love that conversation. Um, and I think we just, the main takeaway from that is that these, these three films are all films about people uh, living in a house on wheels out in the countryside and being a minority population disenfranchised from uh, the rest of society. 
I, I listened to that episode and it's so good. So I'm going to make sure I link it in the show notes because people really do need to check it out. Uh, the two of you had a fantastic conversation and I love listening to every minute of it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, uh, definitely looking forward to, to finishing up the Oscars death phase and, you know, uh, hopefully getting it done in time. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. Uh, where can people find your work and follow you? Uh, yeah, so I have a ton of uh, shows, right? So obviously the Oscars Death Race podcast. Um, I think the easiest way to find all of my shows will be um, at Ninja Boy Media uh, on Twitter. That's N-I-N-J-A-B-O-I-M-E-D-I-A. Um, I link to all of my other shows. Um, in addition to the Oscars Death Race podcast, I have a box office watch podcast where I go over uh, how much money movies make each week and why, as well as an anime podcast. Yet another anime podcast, um, and uh, also a Magic the Gathering podcast, which I do once a month. And who knows what other shows I come up between now and whenever this episode comes out. So um, that's why we can find that. You really are the busiest podcaster I know. I do my best, and you know, obviously, also make sure you join uh, the Oscars Death Race Discord, um, and also check out the Oscars Death Race subreddit. Um, you know, signups are now closed for the different branches for the Academy of Death Racers, um, but there should be some fun things. There's definitely a, a lot of fun stuff going on in the discord uh if you are not already part of that absolutely and then for me i was recently a guest on the house of cinema podcast where i joined joe to rank my top five favorite best picture winner since 2000 you can find a link for that in the show notes in my instagram link tree as well now make sure you stay tuned for next week when we get into our second of three best picture specials with a new excellent guest Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And let me know what your favorite of the Best Picture nominees are so far. It's Minari. (laughs) Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Make sure to visit ContraZoomPod.com for all your CZP needs. Today's show is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you could rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts, it would be a huge help for us to grow and find new listeners. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.